Perspective series. We call it Perspectives, and, and we've been talking about how joy, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this book of Philippians. It's got four chapters in it, but basically it's a letter. You know that back in the day, he wasn't thinking that this is going to be verse one, this is going to be chapter two. He was literally just writing a letter to his friends in a church he had started in Macedonia, the town of Philippi, and he's writing to them, and he's, number one, he's thanking them because they took an offering and they, they blessed him. He was in time of need, and his friends got together. Oh, Paul, we love you, man. You told us about Jesus, started a church here. It's 10 years later now, and Paul's writing this letter. Hey, thank you guys for loving on me. I was in need, and I didn't even ask, but you guys sent stuff and, and finances and resources. Thank you for loving me. And by the way, let me tell you something that's really important. And the main theme in the book of Philippians, right, if we could sum it up in one word, if you guys know this, it's a three-letter word, starts with a J. What is the theme? Joy. It's the joy book. You read the book, book of Philippians in the Bible and you're like, that's the joy book. And so Paul is encouraging these people that if you have any perspective on life, let it be one of joy. Now, no, we're not talking about like, like the kind of shallow perspective. Let's say, hey, buddy, have a good day. Choose joy. It's not the reality that you can just drum something up in you. The real biblical definition of joy that Paul's talking about here is a calm delight that comes from knowing the Holy Spirit. He produces it in our lives. It's not based on circumstances. It's not one of those things where someone comes along and goes, hey, just choose to be joyful. Be positive. Think happy thoughts. Hug a tree. Wear tie-dye. 420. You know, like, <laughs> it's more than something shallow like turn it on. What Paul is saying is, he's writing this letter, remember this, he's writing this, to, this letter to his friends while he's in a Roman prison. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day, and he's going, Real joy comes from God. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not just the choice. Here's what you choose. You don't choose joy. You choose to surrender to God and let him work in your life, and joy is produced because you chose God. Does that make sense for you guys? So we're in this letter, and he's saying joy is the right perspective. Last week, Tisha came in. Were you guys blessed with Tisha? Wasn't she fun, funny, and like, ah. she does that all the time, right? Like, the big mouth, the big smile. I love her. But she talked to us about how joy is also to be shared in community. And she called it the blob of love perspective, right? That we're all in this thing together, sharing joy, feeding upon it with one another, ramping it up, and that's why we need one another, loving each other. But perspective, today I wanna to talk about if joy is the right perspective that we should have, how do we protect it? Because Paul is writing and he's saying there's some dangers that could steal your joy. If, if perspective is your point of view and your vision and your sight and how you see your circumstances. There's some things that can block that view and he wants to warn us of the perspective. The other day I was, I was stayed late at the office for some reason, I don't know, it was, my, my wife was okay, she had the kids at home and I was like, I gotta, I gotta spend some extra time studying, I gotta work on the sermon, a few weeks back. So I stayed after everybody else went home and it was all dark and they turned out all the lights on me except for in my office. But my office door was open to the rest of the office and it was super dark out in the office and I was all alone. But in my office, I, was all, I had the light and I was all good. Now here's the weird thing. Perspective changes everything. Just having lights on changes everything. I work in a church, which means the joy of the Lord is there. The presence of God is there. The Holy Spirit, on any given day you come into our office, there's people praying together, counseling people on the phones, doing the ministry, and it's like a, it's an awesome place. But a simple perspective change changes the same building into something scary. Everybody's gone, the lights are out, I'm a pastor, I'm sitting in there on my computer and I'm like, I hear a little creak in the building, and I'm like, 
I look out the door and it's just dark in the office. And suddenly like my perspective changed just because of dark and light, right? I'm sitting there and I'm hearing creaks in the building and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm literally thinking, there's like ninjas out there right now and they're gonna like break in here. Someone's gonna kill me. I'm all alone. I'm like, I'm like, what can I possibly do? And I'm, I have those, those irrational fears. I don't know if you get, ever had this. You're in, you're, you're, even if your bedroom at night, but it's all dark, it changes your perspective on how you're feeling, is that you're afraid to look into the darkness because you're afraid, like if you're in your room at night and you're afraid to look at the window because you're pretty sure if you look, there's just going to be a face like this. <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be a, like a, a gruesome, scary face, just someone like, I'm here and I'm watching you. And I was so scared. I was like typing on my computer and I was like, I didn't even want to glance out the door of my office into the, I was like, oh. and all I had to do is walk by, turn on the lights and I'm like, oh, it's all good. Listen to what Jesus said about perspective in Matthew 6. He said, your eye, and it's not just your physical eyeball, but he's talking about the way you look at things. Again, your perspective, the way you th- see things, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. The Greek word here for body, it really means, it could mean your literal flesh and blood, blood body, or it actually could mean, like how Jesus is referring to it, your entire life, right? He goes, the way you look at things, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your entire body, your life. When your eye is healthy or your perspective, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, then how deep that darkness is. Jesus is actually referring in this passage to money and possessions. And he's saying, get a new perspective, get a new eyesight on the perspective of money. And if you're just all caught up in money is my joy, money is my value, money feeds my life, he goes, that's actually darkness. He goes, get a new perspective that says there's bigger and better things that matter in life. So he's saying, your perspective changes everything. Write this down. Your vision will become your reality because you feed into it. When I was looking into that dark office and all I'm seeing is darkness, it became my reality that now I'm afraid, now I'm scared, now I'm thinking that there's danger out there. Flip the switch, turn on the bright perspective of light, and it becomes my reality is I'm safe, I'm good, I'm in a locked building, this is church, this is the house of God, God's got me, no worries. But Jesus is saying it's super important to have the right perspective. We talked about this before, is that you may be in a hard time right now, you may be going through a a, a situation where you're like, man, I'm depressed, I'm bummed, I'm mad, I'm irritated at this thing. And Jesus is really saying this when you pray to him, and you're saying, God, change my situation. Remember, we talked about this. We, we experienced this in our time of prayer and fasting. The situation might not change. God might just show up and go, I'm not even going to change that situation. But what can always change is our perspective, our view of things. And sometimes that's the miracle in itself, is that the situation never changed. You're still stuck in that job. But now, because of God's joy, his calm delight that only comes from him, you can look at things differently and go, wait, this job's actually pretty cool. I see some really good benefits to that. I know why I'm here. I got a chance to spread this perspective and this light with other people here. This is actually a good thing. Situation didn't change, but your perspective can change. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I was, I was diving the other day. I'm talking to you guys about protecting this right perspective. I was diving the other day. I went out to the, the Mokulua Islands, the Twin Islands in Kailua. Anybody ever been out there? A few of you guys. Anybody ever like seen them from the road, like through there, two islands? Okay, some, of you guys, some of you guys are living in a cave. You don't know what I'm talking about. But there's these two islands we call the Mokes in Kailua. We love them. And I went out with some friends, and Pastor Trevor was with me. And we went out, and we, we stand-up paddled all the way out there, right, which is a good workout. And we paddled all the way out there. 
And my friends were surfing kind of in the channel, the boards. And I'm like more, I like to surf, but the other thing I like to do is dive for what? Shells. You guys know me too well. I like to dive for shells. So I took my mask, and I was hunting around the mokes, and I was a little disappointed. Man, there's not many shells. It's all broken this, and there's like rocks and all this. I was, I was all over deep water, shallow water. I, I didn't find anything. So I'm praying in the water. I'm like, God, just let me find a shell. Just like make my day, please. Like I'm, I'm a little bit bummed here that like I'm diving all around, and I'm not finding it. Would you just please bless my day? And so as I was digging around in the rocks, not finding any shells, but this is what I found. And I don't know if my wife has them. They were on the seat. Is it? Where is it? No. It's on the seat. I'm sorry. Hold on. She's literally down looking underneath. It was underneath my seat. You know what I found? Brand new Ray-Bans. Prayer works, guys. My friend took a look at these, and he goes, those ones? He goes, that's at least a $120 pair of shades right there. I'm the only guy that made money diving around underwater. And I walk in, and I'm like, boom. But here's the deal. What is the purpose of sunglasses? Protect your eyes, right? Protect your eyes from the harmful rays of the sun, the glare, and all of the confusion and everything. That. And you know what's even better than normal sunglasses? Polarized lenses. How many of you guys, you only buy shades if they're polarized? And yeah, you've learned something. Here's the reason why. Polarized are a step up. They've got this special chemical coating. And what they do to them is it neutralizes glare. Now, glare is a big deal because um, it's dangerous. If you're driving in traffic, here's, here's what I learned. I did a little research on it. The, the rays of the sun come down. And when they hit things that are porous or lumpy or whatever, it kind of it doesn't reflect clearly. It absorbs and it scatters the, the rays of the sun. So you're not going to be blinded when it hits that. But when you're out on the water or you're driving in traffic on a sunny day and there's windshields and there's hoods of cars reflective, it can actually blind you. You can get into accidents as you're driving. On the water, we know anybody that spends time in the water fishing, sailing, whatever, is that the reflective light can keep you from seeing into the water. If you're in a boat in shallow water, put on polarized lenses, cuts the glare, you see all the places where there's reef where your boat could hit and you're able to drive around them. When you're out there and you're, and you're sailing, you can be blinded. And actually, you can get sunburned eyeballs. Anybody ever had your eyeball sunburn? You're in the sun too long, right? And it causes those pterygium growths. You got the surgery. You got it removed. But it's, it's dangerous. It's harmful. And so these polarized lenses are, are not only like preventing glare, but it's bringing out the vibrance and the color and the clarity and life. Now, here's what we're talking about today. The Apostle Paul is saying, you need to see your situations, your problems, everything in life as clearly and as amazingly with a, a, a heart of joy and a perspective of calm delight in the Lord. But there's things that Paul is going to warn us about where they're actually going to become dangerous and they can block our view, they can shroud our perspective of life and take away that joy that we need to be walking in every day. So Paul is in essence kind of saying, guys, I want to teach you to put on your polarized lenses. Put on your God lenses, your joy lenses, and I want to make sure that you're blocking out all the glare and the different things that are happening in life. Because it could be, could be that you're going through a situation right now and all you see is the darkness and you don't know why. But you put those lenses on and, and you avoid all of that, the wrong type of, of thinking and, and, and viewing life. And suddenly it takes on new meaning and you see the hope in the midst of your situation. So here's what Paul says. And we're going to be looking at some verses in chapter 3 here today. They talk about protecting our perspective. Philippians 3.1 
Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, he loves these people. You're my brothers and sisters. But here's his, his statement. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, like 19, 20 times throughout these four chapters, he keeps talking about joy. And he goes, whatever happens, bottom line, here's this. Rejoice in the Lord. Have the joy that comes only from the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And the reason I do it, he says, is to safeguard your faith. Paul had seen the dangers of having the wrong perspective, of people having the wrong perspective against you, but us as Christians having the wrong perspective on life, right? He had been through some stuff. He had, he had been a guy that was a persecutor of Christians. He had this full religious spirit. I know God, I know everything about God. I'm super knowledgeable. I'm in the elite group of the Pharisees, those that keep God's letter of the law perfectly. And then he has this experience with God where he's on the road to Damascus. God blinds him, takes away his sight, Miraculous thing happens, he goes, he prays, the, something like scales fell off his eyeballs, cataracts or whatever, his eyes are open and God speaks to him and says, I got a new calling for you in life. Stop being all Mr. Religious Man thinking you know it all and let's come down to the heart of the matter. I want you to preach the good news of my son Jesus Christ to the world. And so he has this new calling but in the midst of it, he, he has all this opposition. People like uh, beat him down. They whip him like within inches of his life. They stone him. And I'm not talking about recreational use. I'm talking about rocks thrown at your body. They stone him multiple times. He's dragged out of town, left for dead. He knows that he's got this perspective that says it's not always easy. And he's writing from prison. He's in prison. And he's writing, it's not always easy, but I got a perspective. I want to tell you guys, there's dangerous things out there that could take away this perspective of joy. And so he's warning them. Because here's what he knows. You got to cut the glare in your life so you can see clearly. Because if you lose joy, if joy fails in your life, you know what happens if joy fails in my life? Joy fails in my life, I don't feel like coming to church. Because I'm not joyful. I see only the negative, maybe, maybe conflict at home or whatever. Some of you, maybe this morning, it's hard for you to be here this morning because something has glared out the joy in your life. If joy fails, you come to church, you don't feel like singing. You know, hey, greet your neighbor. No way, I'm not greeting that guy. I'm like, no way, right? And you just get this negative feeling. Your, your relationship with God begins to fail. It might be that your, if your joy is gone, if your joy fails, wrong perspective, I don't want to hang out with my kids. They're irritating me right now. Just go to your room. Let me watch Netflix, right? You get like irritated or you get irritated with people or you have long talks and I, and I find, I can tell sometimes when my joy is depleted. I've let other things ruin my perspective of what God wants for me is I'm talking to people. I'm a pastor. I love to talk to people. I love to hear people's stories. I love to come behind them. But there's times when I'm talking to people and inside I'm like, oh, God, just hurry up already. I'm hungry, right? I know right there. Something is wrong with my joy. My perspective is wrong because I want to believe in people. I want to speak life into people. I want to take opportunities. So Paul is saying, guys, I love you so much. I got to warn you of some of the dangers that can block your perspective of joy. So this is, this is where he begins to, to give him some warnings. And I'm going to give you three big warnings that Paul is giving to his friends in the Philippian church, but they're good for us. Now here's a little bit of backstory before we get into those three things. Jesus came to planet Earth, he shared his message of, of relationship and, and life and how we get to the Father now is through relationship. In the Old Testament times, it was all about the law. It was all about sacrifice. It was all about all of these things that you had to do to be holy enough to come into relationship with God. God said, that's not working too well because these people, they can't live up to those standards. So I'm going to pr present a better way, what Easter is all about. I'm going to present my son to Earth to show them it's about faith in him 
and religion is now relationship and that God is, God is sending his son to die for our sins if we believe in him, that when he rose again, he conquered not only death itself, but sin in our lives. And now we have a way to come home to the original life that God intended. We have a way to have, have Jesus in our lives and have God and have life eternal that doesn't come through the rules and regulations. So in the beginning, after Jesus came, he died, resurrected, went back up to heaven, the gospel started going out. Christianity started. Now it started by just speaking to the Jews who originally were God's people. And everybody's, yep, they're the Jewish, that's God's people. But then you read a little bit further on in the book of Acts that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, began to be spread to Samaria and Samaritan people were half-breeds. They were half-ethnicity, half-Jewish, and half-something else, Greek or, or mixed Roman. They were half-Jewish. So the religious leaders of the day were kind of like, whoa, wait, isn't God only for the Jewish people? Well, they're half-Jewish, so we'll kind of let that one slide. But then it progressed a couple choppers later where the message of Christianity was going to Gentile people. The word Gentile basically means non-Jewish people. So I praise God for that because I'm not Jewish. I'm not even half Jewish. I'm like Irish, English, Filipino. I got Filipino in me, guys. Can I just say? Pinoy power, right? I, I've got a little bit of Filipino, but here's the deal. I'm not Jewish. And if we would have stuck to the Old Testament law and said, no, you have to be Jewish, then none of us would have had a chance unless you're 100% Jewish in this room. And so here's the message of the gospel as it's going out is the religious leaders who were Jewish of the day, they didn't like that the, that non-Jewish people could be Christians and they could have a relationship with God. So they began to fight Paul about this. So they go to the church at Jerusalem, the leaders of the day, and they pray and they decide, you know what? This is what Jesus intended. Christianity is for anyone and everyone that would accept it. Praise God for that, amen? Because you're sitting here today as a result of this. And so Paul goes out and he's preaching this message. And remember that the church in Philippi that he's writing to right now, they're primarily Gentiles. There's only a few of them that are actually Jewish. So this is a message that he's going, Jesus is for everybody. If you would choose him and live according to what he's got for your life, man, you're going to be saved. You're going to be blessed. But in the process, there's all of these religious-minded people that wanted to stick with the old ways, the Old Testament law, and you can only um, know God if you obey every letter of the law, plus all the ones that we made up to add to it, plus every Jewish man has, and every convert to to God, to knowing God, you have to be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to explain that. You guys know what that is. I don't even want to get into that. Ouch, just thinking about it, right? But these guys were saying nobody can become Christians until they first become Jewish. So we have to circumcise them. It's like, hey, welcome to church. Here's a scalpel. We're just going to get with you real quick. Hope everything's going to be okay. Like, that's what they're saying. And you have to obey all of these laws. You have to become Jewish before you can become a Christian. So the first thing that Paul is battling, that we actually battle in our lives a little bit today, is the danger of legalism. So today what Paul is saying is, put on those polarized le lenses, cut the glare and the danger, number one, of legalism in the church. And this is what he says in Philippians 3, verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. He's calling those guys dogs, the kind of people that think it's all about religion. Oh, they're dogs. And what it meant to the people in, in this time of writing in the Bible was, the people were familiar that there were packs of wild dogs that roamed around Israel and that were barking at people and biting people and just attacking people. They belonged to nobody, but they were just danger and they were trouble. And he's comparing them, these teachers, all they do is go around, stir up trouble. They try to bite you. They try to make you feel bad. And he goes, watch out for those guys. They're dogs. 
those people that do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. And he says this, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about those that follow Jesus Christ have allowed God to circumcise our hearts, not physically, but the kind of stuff that comes into our lives that screws us up is that when we say yes to Jesus, we're basically saying, God, cut all the junk out of my life. I just want to worship you. I want the best life possible. So he goes, we're the, really the ones that are, that, are, that are circumcised from the inside out. He said, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. He goes, watch out for legalism. Legalism is substituting rules for relationship. It's when we get so caught up in how we do Christianity that we forget to focus on who is Christianity, Jesus Christ. Let's focus on him, not all these little rules along the way. So he says, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Now he goes and he goes, look, if I wanted to, Paul speaking, I could be the man to tell you how awesome I am and how much of a spiritual pedigree I have. He says this, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm legit Jewish guy. I'm pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. In fact, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, meaning the church, the followers of Jesus Christ when he was just a Jewish uh, priest oh, I don't believe in that new, new Jesus guy coming around here. There's no way he could be the son of God. And he persecuted him. He put him in jail. He killed him. And he says, as for righteousness, I obey the law without fault. And what Paul is warning here against legalism, he goes, hey, don't be like those dogs. Don't be like how I used to be. All caught up in who's more holy. In fact, the, the Jewish leaders of the day took the 10 commandments that God gave us and they created their own system. Let's break it down and let's get it really detailed here. They created 613 commandments of their own. Now, it was based on the word of God, good hearts that originally said, let's follow God. But then they began to make up all of these silly little religious legalistic things like, hey, on the Sabbath, you're supposed to take a day of rest. That means if a fly comes around, you can't swat a fly because that's considered working and we don't work on the Sabbath. So there's a law that you need to follow. If you get bit by a mosquito, you can't even scratch it. That'd be a bummer for all of you guys that live in like Kahalu or over here in the jungles where we used to live in Haiku a couple roads away and we used to live in the back in the jungle and my kids to this day still call that place mosquito heaven because they would go outside like, hey, it's a great day. Mosquitoes everywhere. And they're like, ah. And my kids would all be like polka dotted with mosquito bites everywhere they go. And you know what their law was, the Jewish people are saying? If a mosquito bites you, you can't even scratch it because you got to be holy, no work on the Sabbath. I mean, they just took this to these crazy extremes and they're just, they're saying, here's God's law, but we're gonna make all of these laws of our own get legalistic. And so Paul is warning, hey, watch out for people that do that. And in fact, don't get caught up in that because that'll steal your joy. Don't, don't keep a focus on all the ways that you do God, but just follow God. And now, how does that apply to us today? Because we're not following 613 Jewish laws. But some of us, we walk around saying, it's good to read your Bible. So you better read your Bible at least an hour every day. If you fall short of that, you're not really holy. You don't really know God. Something that starts as good, you guys get what I'm saying? But we get legalistic about it and we make like our own man-made version of it that says, if you don't, don't do it this much, then you're falling short. And we, some of us might go around and be like, hey, you know, for me, I just need to spend this time focusing on God. So the only music I'm going to listen to is like worship music. But then we can turn it into legalism when we say, everybody else, you should do the same. 
don't listen to any other music out there. Don't watch rated R movies. Well, that just canceled the Passion of the Christ, which was rated R. Can't, we can't watch that. It's too gnarly. Do you understand how we can let the legalism creep into the church? I was at a, a, a church years ago, and I was a youth pastor, and we were doing such a great work loving on kids in Huntington Beach and bringing them all to church, and our youth group just grew exponentially from two little brothers. Within like five years, we had 150, 200 kids, all loving Jesus, all coming in. Parents not even saved. The kids were just coming to this youth group, and they were finding Jesus. And in the midst of it, super weird, Someone, someone in the church comes along to me one day and he goes, hey, um, Carl, you shouldn't let those kids in here dress the way that those kids are dressed. They've got baggy jeans on. They've got backwards baseball caps. And the girls, those little girls, their shirts are too tight and this and that. I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. You should be happy that those kids aren't out there causing trouble, messing their lives up. They're in the house of God and they're building a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we not be so legalistic about dress code? You guys get what I'm saying? We can fall into this. I meet with this, uh, several pastors groups, um, different times of the year, accountability with other pastors, churches around here, different parts of the island. You know what's so amazing is, all of us, the style of our ministry is a little bit different. The length of our sermons, the way that we preach our sermons, the way that we worship, you know, we're all about like guitars and some of them are like organs, you know? How many of you guys are glad you're not in an organ church anymore, right? But that doesn't make us better. I've had some crazy, beautiful experiences worshiping with organs. See, here's the deal is I have friends with all these different pastors. The dress codes are different at their churches. The length of their service time is different. The way that we pray and all of this. But we all agree on the fact that it's Jesus and God's word that we're all sticking to. Now, we can have all of these different styles of ministry. And my ministry at Anchor Church is no better or worse than my friend Pastor Dan Chun at First Pres right down the road or my friend Dave Barr that's meeting at the Windward Mall Theater this morning is we're not concerned with legalism and all of that get, getting caught up. We just want to focus on Jesus and it gets dangerous if you begin to focus on that legalism because either you can never stack up to the, to the standards that people are putting on you and so you're always feeling false guilt, I'm not holy enough because I don't do it this way. Or you're one of the arrogant, prideful people who do it better than everybody else, and you're around judging everybody else. You know, here's Paul going, man, put those lenses on that say, calm delight in the Lord comes from not judging everybody and not being legalistic. Is that good for you guys? Watch out for that stuff. He's, he loves his friends enough to go, watch out. Don't become like that. Just focus on Jesus. Then he says, see through, here's the second warning, see through the distractions, what are the distractions? The worldly stuff that looks valuable, that looks good, that's good to us, and sometimes gets in the way of what we really should be focusing on, what's most important in our life. Watch out for all of the money and the pride and the status and, the, and, and, at, and at face value, it looks good. God wants to bless my life, so he gives me all this stuff. The problem is when we take our eyes off the giver and we just focus on the gifts. Man, these gifts are so awesome, we forget that it's God who's giving us those gifts. We get distracted. There's so many times like, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm somewhere enjoying life with my family or something, and I'm at the beach, and my son's surfing, and I, and I got to get the shot. So I get, get the phone out, and I'm, I'm videoing his first wave, and I catch his wave. I'm like, yeah, and he's surfing right in front of me. Then I'm like so busy putting the right filter on it, slow-mo, Instagram, you know, whatever, Snapchat. You're doing all of this. He's still catching waves. He comes in. He goes, oh, Dad, did you see my? Yeah, dude, I, I recorded it. I totally got your first wave. He goes, oh, that was my worst one. Did you see the, the three after that? I did super good. Oh, no, I was too busy getting the shot that I missed out on experiencing what really matters most. Are you guys hearing me? I'm not saying throw away social media. I'm saying be careful because Paul is saying, watch out for the things that distract you that seem like a good idea, 
but you're missing out on what's really the most fulfilling thing in life, and that's relationships, and that's family, and that's Jesus Christ himself. So here's what he says. Paul says, I told you, I, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews, and I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He's saying, don't let distractions have power over you. Let Jesus have power over you. You want to keep that perspective of joy, calm delight in the Lord? Well, then don't put your, your, your joy into counterfeit joy, imitation joy. It's my car. It's my lifestyle. It's my this. It's my that. There are imitation, counterfeit versions of joy out there. And Paul's going, see through that stuff. Don't get sucked into your status, your knowledge, your money, your gifts, all of that. In fact, Paul goes so far as to call it this. He says, I count it all as garbage. You know what the real word for that here is describing? It's a Greek word. It's called skubalon. Skubalon is a word where this version says garbage. You know what the actual literal translation of this is? Animal excrement. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome, right? But that's how gnarly Paul is saying you know what, everything else that I thought was so valuable in my life, literally, that's just a pile of scubalon, right? And there's other words that you could maybe think of that start with an S that describes scubalon, but you get the idea. Paul is using a vile, harsh word to describe, you know, the, all that stuff that I was puffed up with pride. I thought I was the man. I was a Pharisee, a religious leader. I know so much. I trained and I studied and I'm all of this. And he goes, you know what, when I found Jesus, that's really all that matters, is that if I do things his way, then I find joy in life and all that other stuff, putting all that, it's scubalon. It's like, it's no good. It's, it's doo-doo. It's caca. It's poo-poo. Whatever you want to call it, it's no good for your life. You know, when I see it on the, on the lawn, it's like you walk to people's houses that have dogs or pets, and I call them landmines, right? The piles, those little steaming piles of, because you don't see them at first. I was at my friend's house the other day. It has a beautiful lawn. It's green and and it, it's beautiful, and I was like, oh, what a nice lawn, but I wasn't aware of the landmines, and I stepped in a little bit. Luckily, it was dry and crispy. It wasn't hot and wet, you know what I'm talking about, but I was like, oh, man, I need to be aware of those landmines. Here's a problem. You don't see them right away. You don't, you don't think like the, you look at it like, these are blessings from the Lord. Oh, my popularity, my, my status, that's good. God's giving me promotion. I've got all of this money. That's good but you don't really recognize that along the way it could, it could turn into something that's, that's got terrible results in your life when you put all of your focus and your strength. So Paul's going, hey, watch out for that stuff. It's counterfeit joy. What's your counterfeit joy? And I was reading these. That's what I love. The results from you guys, and this is just a few of them. I have a stack like this of the results that you guys said when you pressed into God for prayer and fasting for 21 days. Some of you guys cut out food. Some of you guys cut out caffeine, social media. You cut out these things. Why? Because they're distractions so that you can press more into God. And the results that came out of it, me and the, the church staff, we've been rejoicing. We've been reading these things all week. Listen to this. Someone said, when I fasted, in other words, cut some of these distractions out of my life, I broke my addiction to ca caffeine and coffee and my dependence on wine and alcohol. Now I get my energy and rest from God, and I go to him first instead of wine when things aren't going so good. I now have a new, fresh heart. Is that cool? Here's the deal. Cut some distraction out and find that God can give you joy. You don't necessarily need all these things. Someone else says, um, my results were I'm not addicted to social media anymore. 
I spent more time building relationships and being productive, more involved and aware of spiritual warfare, and I'm finding my life's calling. That's cool. That's one of the big things every one of us is looking for. What's my purpose in life? What's my calling? Someone else said, God revealed to me the things that I have and I don't need. I spend money on things that I shouldn't. She said, after day two of the fast, I began to fast all my spending. The Holy Spirit showed me how to build better relationships with my kids. Jesus has graced my marriage with more fulfilling conversations and oneness. Tears of joy flow when I look back three years ago till now, and I still can't comprehend how good God is. And here's this last one that's pretty cool is, I fasted TV viewing. Someone gave up the distraction of TV, and then they realized how much time had been wasted. And now they get closer to God, trusting him more and more. The point is this. We're going to actually hang up every one of your results. Take your names off it so you're anonymous. We're going to hang them all on a web page so you can go through and see all the results of what Paul is saying about don't get distracted by all these worldly things that look good and feel okay when God is the one that gives you the real joy because nothing lives up to the hype except Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Think about this. How many of you guys have a favorite movie that you've watched more than one time? Anybody? Your favorite movies? What's the most you've watched a movie? How many times? Anybody? Like you've watched a movie 20 times? Anybody? Okay, anybody, honestly, 50 times? Wow, 100. What movie is it? I got to know. Shawshank Redemption. That is a good movie. But have you watched it 200 times? Probably not, maybe not 200 times. But here's the point is, there's stuff that we really like in life and we, it blesses us and we get fed on. It could be movies. It could be books that we've read. It could be restaurants. We discover a new restaurant. We're like, yeah. Here's, here's the, the point I'm trying to make, though, is we're not going to eat at that restaurant every single day. At some point, everything in life, the, the shine wears off. The, the what you thought was so awesome in the beginning, the hype kind of diminishes and it's still good, but you're not gonna do it every single day of your life. The one thing that I know about God is I can pick up the Bible every day of my life and it still speaks life into my bones. Amen. It still refreshes my spirit. Nothing lives up to the hype like Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying is everything else, it's, it's basically just a pile of scuba on. You know, like, oh man, I stepped in scuba on today, right? It's nothing lives up to the hype except Jesus. So watch out for distractions. Then the third thing that he warns us about is dropping all the way down to verse 12. is complacency. He talks to us about three things. He's saying legalism, don't be all crazy religious and focus on rules. Focus on relationship with me. Distraction, no, all that stuff's good in your life. But don't let that be what gives you joy in life. Let it be Jesus. And the third thing is, don't get complacent. Don't get lazy. Don't settle for, here's the big one, good enough. So many of us in our marriages, our jobs, our relationships, whatever situation, we're like, well, I love God and he's blessed me. I'm good enough. The reality is God always has something more for you. Paul's sitting in prison. He could just be going, well, this is just how my life's going to be, I guess. This is good enough. I've, I've lived a good life. Paul's going, no way. I still got work to do. I want more of God's joy. Look at verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things. He goes, I'm not there yet, or that I've already reached perfection. But what I do is I press on to possess the, that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I do focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, if you're taking notes, just write this down real quickly. This is a real simple thing to remember. With God, good enough isn't. With God, good enough isn't. 
Because God says my mercies are new every morning. God says that every day is a new start. That God says that my promises hold true. I've got more for you around the corner. And Paul is going, you know what will steal your joy more than anything? You just getting lazy, taking a break on life, thinking, ah, it's okay, this is good enough. And God's going, don't ever settle for good enough. I got so much more I want to give you if you keep pressing in. Don't stop where you're at. God always has something more. Don't run your life's energy off of old joy because God has new joy for you. Amen? He's got something new around the corner. You know who I love in our church? One group of people inspires me so much. They, I don't know if they know it or not. I try to tell them. I try to thank them. Is our time setters ministry. It's those that are in retirement or approaching retirement. But it's, it's can I just be real? It's the older people, right? It's the older generation. The guys in our church, man, I'm inspired. They do this thing up here on Fridays, Time Setter Fridays, where they're reaching out to the community, inviting people. And they have this thing from like 8 in the morning to like 12 or something. Is that it? Nine to one, I had it completely wrong. Nine o'clock to one, they're up here and they're just sharing the joy of the Lord. And some of them are like going, well, I'm a, I know how to cook, so I'm gonna do some cooking classes. Some of them are doing like, like exercises to keep everybody healthy in their old age. They're all sitting in chairs though, but they're like totally doing like calisthenics from their chair. And I was like, that's awesome. But they're also doing Bible studies. They're sharing their faith. There's a couple that I know, Uncle Alan Anticoline Kalama, if you go down to Windward Mall, you find them doing laps. Their exercise is in the mall because it's safe in there. And they just like lap around the mall a bunch of times walking around. The problem is they don't get any real exercise because like every two minutes they run into someone that they know and they're loving on them and they're praying with them and they're inviting them to church. And it's like, I watch them. I'm like, you guys aren't even exercising. You know, they take two steps. Oh, hey, Auntie Allison. And they're just loving on people. But you know what? That inspires me. I want to grow old like that, that you never retire from serving God. You're not done until you're dead right? And then you're in his presence forever. But what Paul is saying is don't get weak. Don't get soft. You know, I'm over here thinking there's times in my life when I feel like this. I don't know about you, but I just want to sit on the couch, turn on Netflix. My life is like, it's good enough, God. I just want to binge watch every entire old episode of Lost or of Seinfeld, right? Or of The Office and all these. And in the midst of me saying, I just want to take a break in life, you know what God is saying? Carl, get off your butt. I got more for you. There's more in your life to do. There's more joy that you can experience. Stop trying to get complacent and take a break. And this is Paul. Man, I press on. I keep on going. You're not done till you're dead because here's what I know. You never can just run out of enough grace of God. You never reach spiritual maturity. Your, your growth in God doesn't have an expiration date, like Twinkies, right? They always say about Twinkies. Like, There's no expiration date. You can eat a Twinkie 20 years old. I tried, it doesn't work, it's bad. But God is saying here, there's no expiration date that you've never achieved good enough status. There's always something more because the Holy Spirit gives free refills, like McDonald's, right? Remember when we first got free refills at McDonald's, how exciting that was? I used to travel to the mainland and everywhere they go, it's like, free refills. I'm like, yeah, right? I just order a small and just pound, you know? And then when it came to Hawaii, I was so excited. Like, yeah, there's free refills now. But that's the thing. As the Holy Spirit just I can keep refilling you, I got more for you. Here's the bottom line, guys, is joy is possible. The perspective of joy is absolutely possible if you protect it. And the thing is, you don't got to go diving for it to find it. You don't got to pay $120 or whatever to experience this lens. Is here's the, the truth is, only, only Jesus can provide this perspective of joy. And the closer we get to him and surrendering our lives to him, the more we're going to walk around with this perspective that is actually contagious. The kind of thing that when you invite people to Easter services, 
they're going to want what you have because they've seen you live it in your life. The perspective is available, but it only comes from you. Is that good?